All right, we are rolling. Cool. So, mm-hmm. what have you been up to, and why has the recording or publishing schedule of our podcast been messed up? Why has the schedule been messed up? I guess we both have to answer that. Uh, from my side, um, it's basically the end of term. So all my exams were in the last two weeks. That also means that I'm done with exams. So how are exams in London? How is it different from India? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the simple answer to that is they are not. The more complex answer to that is they are not as different from as they were at Ashoka, which is they are basically essays. There's one interesting assignment that I had, which I just submitted yesterday, which was to create a video. And as you know, I have a particular inclination for creating educational videos. So that was fun. I'll, I'll put that up. sometime on youtube whenever i'm allowed to but i really enjoyed the editing and it was good to see all my fans in my laptop go off after a very very long uh-huh. time but in general do you think testing people's knowledge or their understanding of a paper mm-hmm. is better done by say for example an assignment which tells you to make a video or tells you to write an essay versus our traditional uh, question and answer type uh, examinations So did you say that are there three categories here? There could be any categories. The category which we are most familiarized with is the question and answer type. Yes. But do you think the other mediums are better in testing one's uh, understanding of the paper? Right. That could be anything. Even an essay is just a question and answer thing just it's just long. First of all I think everything has its merit and depending on what you're testing for you need to choose the appropriate method of assessment. So I'll give you an examples. For example, we have something like brain anatomy. I think that's best tested with like your multiple choice questions and your normal exam format. It's it like you can't write an essay on all the brain parts and stuff. You can, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean. It's the recall and the accuracy of your answers is better tested. I think from a multiple choice mm-hmm. type of a thing. But on the other hand, most other issues in academia are rather complex and. I don't think a normal multiple choice question can do justice to that. So in that case you need some better modes of assessment. I think essay is the holy grail because you have to be re- really rigorous. But that that's not to say it's the best for learning per se. So I mean I enjoyed the science communication video because it made me research but it also made me think about how to communicate this to someone who doesn't understand this. Hmm. Yeah, communication paper does make sense to actually test you by your communication skills through a video or in person presentation yeah but i think we go off track we we need to answer the first question you have to uh, what have you been up to this is also a way to catch up but yeah <laughs> 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 so yeah same story i had my examinations mm-hmm. that's it mm-hmm. but okay my examinations are very chill these days because it's I my see. last semester i see my I marks see. are not really going to change my point based marking mm-hmm. system so yeah. my marks are going to remain overall same so it's not a big deal these days i see i see okay what i'm trying is to write a paper which i can publish in a scientific journal that is excellent so that is something new yeah so right now my focus is on that itself and nothing else okay okay i see and if you haven't noticed i have started a new podcast yeah i did notice although i did not get the time to hear but Yeah, I will. I will. I will tell you what I think about it. Maybe next part <laughs> we we can go meta about stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. So keeping in line with what is done differently in London. Uh huh. So I wanted to ask you about language in general. So I see. Okay. 
most most of the times which language do you communicate in while in london i mean no surprise english and uh, are there many people who speak in languages other than english around you yeah yeah chinese is the most common i mean i literally mean around me i don't know in what's the statistical uh, score but yeah, yeah i mean around you only. yeah 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 it's it's chinese for the most part um Right. Do I see any other language? That's a good question. Um, sometimes Spanish. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But that's also because I'm surrounded by some Spanish culture because of the dancing, which is Latin Salsa American. Dancing. Yeah. Uh, but uh-huh. uh, yeah, I think even generally, I see some Spanish being spoken around. So, first question: How uh-huh. do you feel about talking in English all the time? Um, I don't talk in English all the time. For example, I uh, talk to my parents. That's not in English. Uh, I talk to some friends from back home. That's not in English. So I, yeah, I I do keep on alternating. Not in that proportion, of course. I mostly it's English, but I still get the chance to practice my Hindi and Marathi. So, don't you ever find it exhausting to talk in English all the time? Because I certainly do. Whenever I talk to some South Indian guy here <laughs> in my college, I usually talk to that person in English. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we have very long conversations, say one or two hour conversations in English, mm-hmm. I sometimes feel exhausted. Okay, and uh, if I ask why is that so? Is that because you are searching for vocabulary, or is it because you are more self conscious? What exactly? I think I use many slangs and abuses when I speak. Okay, and those are primarily <laughs> in Hindi. I see. I see. Okay. And then the frustration to translate those slangs and or abuses in English uh-huh. is uh, energy consuming. Ah, uh, I see. And so and and just the frustration of not making your mark or not hitting that slang correctly mm-hmm. when it is translated in English, even that is sometimes irritating. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, then to answer your question, I don't have that problem because I don't. I mean, curse curses. I certainly don't use at all. But even slangs. The thing is, I I'm talking to people who would anyway who are anyway outside my culture. So, the language there is not. It's not as if it's just a language barrier. It's just a whole cultural barrier. Uh, to communicate my sort of nuances about my culture. So that is not available anyway. The slang, whatever you're trying to communicate through slangs. So isn't that frustrating at times? No, you have your own slangs with. I mean, slang slang is not the right way. Innuendos or maybe. My point being, you just develop your own thing, like you develop your own jokes with every single person in English, and so it it becomes a thing of its own. You don't have to export it from some other language. I mean, you have to realize I'm I am in England and I am part of their culture. It's not as if they are coming here and then I'm trying to tell them something, right? Uh huh. So it's usually the other way around. I don't understand a lot of cultural references. <laughs> <laughs> TV shows have been. Helping me a lot okay. while trying to communicate with people in South India using some slangs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if it is any relatable, um, one problem that you can, I face here, and I presume every Indian who doesn't know much about European culture faces is these Europeans are quite tightly knit. Like they know a lot about each other, but they don't know anything about the world as such. And by the, I don't know. I mean, this they know it factually. I'm not saying they're ignorant. But what I mean is that they know each other very well, uh, the European and the UK culture. It sometimes feels that even America is not a part of them, if not a part of their world. So you will see all the sorts of like weird references to, for example, say Italians. Like Italians have a taste for like fashion. That that's a stereotype. I think it's true, uh, but um, <laughs> at least for aesthetics, if not for fashion. So you will see all sorts of jokes about like how Italians like to see their pizza perfectly round and stuff like that, and 
small not not as big as what chicago pizza sells and so all sorts of things i can't relate to those jokes because i don't know what an authentic pizza looks like anyway like oh, the pizza that i know of comes from the american globalized culture for the most part right the pizza we know is from domino's and pizza that's it exactly exactly and and you can see that that is not the actual traditional pizza so there can be jokes about it which i don't understand right what i have found difficult is to relate to up people uh-huh like they have their own sets of uh, slangs you could say their mm-hmm. own phrases and even their pronunciation is so different from your normal hindi uh-huh now i think i've grown used to understanding the feel of whatever the person is saying but many of the times i'll be just asking them what did you mean by whatever you said over which mm-hmm. the entire group has finished laughing right now <laughs> fair enough i see so we okay. are, the rest of the group understands yeah yeah so majority of my friends are from delhi side i see and okay if not not from delhi they have if not from delhi they have studied in delhi university for a few years okay okay so I they see. they are more experienced with those mm-hmm. words yeah okay so my first question was how do you feel about talking in english all the time my second question is what do you feel about people talking in different languages especially languages you don't understand around you mm-hmm. because at times i have found it very irritating when someone is talking in, in say a south indian language around me mm-hmm. not that i don't like them talking in their own language mm-hmm. but if you think about it objectively it's because you don't understand the language mm-hmm. it's as if like a few people around you are making weird noises mm-hmm um yeah yeah i i i get what you mean so this is what what has happened um so the the primary language that i encounter here that that i don't understand is chinese and this is what is surprising they they are surprisingly very very mindful of the fact that there is someone who doesn't know chinese around and they immediately switch to english when i like at least they make an effort of course sometimes they are not as mindful and then they have their talk mm-hmm. and i'm clueless but in a normal if if they see my clueless face they'll switch again for example so at least they are <laughs> aware of this being a problem and they make some effort to change and modify accordingly so i'm i'm actually very surprised and even grateful for finding people like this my south indian friends had that mindfulness mm-hmm. in the beginning of the course <laughs> yeah, but, but now they have their own different groups yeah. their own different outing etc and whenever they will be talking about those things they will mm-hmm. just say oh we are just talking something which we'll have to give you context about mm. so instead we are just talking in our language so sorry oh <laughs> and yeah they'll just keep talking <laughs> yeah yeah that happens sometimes but i still try to like ask what is the topic about or something like that which gets the mood back but yeah cool mm-hmm. so coming to the question you don't find it irritating if someone say is talking in some foreign language that you don't understand not irritating per se sometimes maybe it's it is but no i i won't globally i've not felt irritated i felt uh, so the thing is i meet these people for like breakfast and dinner so it's a very limited time frame that i'm there with so these people are people you know right but there might be people you don't know and there's no chance of you getting into the conversation anyway yeah so uh, why would I, i be irritated with that because it's same as some people making weird noises around you because you don't understand the language ah that way oh yeah okay like you are sitting in a restaurant and everyone around you in that restaurant say for some weird reason is chinese and they are talking in chinese it would be as if like these people are making some weird noises 
which you have no clue what they are for yeah but the weird noises are not necessarily bad noises like a bird chirps weirdly makes weird noises but ah. it's not bad uh, it's ah. like that chinese is like that they sing it just means <laughs> yeah and like Music. chinese literally is tonal a tonal language right so it's like you you go ni hao and so that's that's the word you can't say ni hao that's that's a different thing so you have to sing chinese basically i found a similar thing with malayalam as well like there are many tonal uh, modulations in their speech <laughs> i don't want to be stereotyping malayali but i don't think malayali is a tonal language in the way chinese is no no it's it's not a tonal language but yeah. they have many tonal modulations as compared to hindi or marathi i see okay um maybe uh, maybe we are uh, a bit oblivious to the tonality in our own languages uh, because we speak them but i guess mm. voice regulation is a part of all languages so that doesn't seem to be the difference cool <laughs> <laughs> i i like your impersonation of malayali yeah. yeah i've been around malayali people a lot these days okay fair enough i mean they're they're sweet <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know why i always feel i am answerable to you when it comes to meditation <laughs> okay uh, you're yeah, not and uh, uh-huh. i think that stems from the fact that you are the one who taught me meditation yeah. the first meditation i did was with you mm-hmm. so i find uh, like somewhere deep in my mind you are my guru for meditation okay. and like i am answerable to you and i report to you about my meditation uh, practices Um, so um i guess we could consider ourselves as dhamma friends rather than uh, <laughs> but anyway yeah you get you get what i mean go yeah. ahead yeah we don't want to explain dhamma friends to our listeners as of now yeah but that's that's still better than taking a guruship <laughs> cool <laughs> yeah so for the last few months i have been struggling a lot with meditation i've okay. been trying to form a habit uh-huh. and i haven't been even able to meditate for say 5 minutes per day mm-hmm. i've just could not do it mm mm-hmm. So the app Ten Percent Happier finally helped me okay. get on track. And That's for the nice. last two weeks or so, I've been meditating for five minutes a day. Oh, that's 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 little. I'm just kidding. It's good. It's good. Yeah, that's huge, man. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and you are at you are still at half an hour a day, right? Um. Yeah, I guess on average. I mean, sometimes I skip it, but it's so the current theme that I'm with at uh, in meditation is. I'm trying to understand what is outside the scope of meditation. So when you start meditating there's this whole phase that happens in which you are brainstormed by everyone that everything is meditation. And I understand the sense in which that is true because everything is mediated through the mind, but that does not mean that meditation solves everything. You know, those those are two different things. So these few months have just been an endeavor to understand things that are outside the scope of meditation. so i would intentionally just not meditate for some days to see what what's happening and to understand what's outside its scope are you sure that you've taken a conscious decision to not meditate for a few days or is your mind just tricking you into not meditating for a few days yeah um that's that's a very like that would be the first question to ask and it's a good question to ask for this for this we need some context so in general um, there there was a period in which i was ill right uh, and mm-hmm. the illness it certainly had something to do with meditation because it started on a meditation retreat uh-huh. so the first thing to realize is that i have already meditated way beyond what is typical of someone of my age right so it's not necessarily experience that i lack 
um mm-hmm. so one of the advices not one of the advices the major advice that i had from more or less everyone was you need to also leave clinging to meditation um mm. you you cannot cling to the idea of meditation either like that's not a good clinging either i mean the context to that is in meditation theory clinging brings you suffering so the trap is that you leave clinging to save some other things like say addictive drugs but uh you still cling to meditation that's not a good idea either so in general in my life it's i would be totally fine if i don't meditate at all because that's that's in that's in consistency with the advice that i have plus what where i want to be so the very fact that i'm meditating is a bonus at this point but how do you know that you were clinging to meditation in the first place how do i know that how do i know any clinging it's it's an experience right so you say you are clinging to something when not doing that thing or not getting that thing brings you sadness yeah yeah it's it's, it? it's suffering like i i mean you suffer a lot because of meditation itself like for example there's this thing called meditation meditator's arrogance um uh, which is what you get in when you start meditating you feel that you have the secret to all questions and you also feel that then you are superior to others yeah so um that is a form of clinging to meditation then there are other things like for example um even if there is something to be fixed in the, the real world say for example you have a toxic relationship uh and there's something to be done you you what you do instead is just shove it down under the name of equanimity that is another form of clinging to the idea of meditation so like there are other things sleep for example like although that's a bit trickier because if you meditate more technically you feel rested even then but that doesn't replace sleep so you know yeah is there some scientific study which has been done on the relationship between meditation and number of hours you need to sleep because it always felt skeptical to me yeah yeah i i mean i agree it's it's different for different people i don't think there's any science behind this yeah hmm. so it's tricky as i said but uh, the other examples are more concrete so i mean the thing is you need meditation to for mind for your awareness for your mindfulness and at this point i don't lack any of that i just so what i'm doing is just replenishing it whenever i feel i'm lacking it but um, hmm. it's happening more or less daily so i mean i'm still doing it it's it's just less uh, less leg- regimental hmm. for me uh, even back then when i was struggling with meditation and even now the major hmm. problem or hurdle has been finding a time slot in which i will meditate every day and i haven't been able to find that time of the day and mm-hmm. i say i'll do it early in the morning i don't feel like getting up early in the morning uh-huh. if i say late night i already have a late night routine before i go to bed so i don't want to disturb that uh-huh. when when i keep it in the middle of the day something or the other definitely comes up which mm-hmm. messes up the schedule mm-hmm. so one of the advices which i heard on the 10% happier app was mm-hmm. you need not have a set time or a set place for meditation yeah yeah and he said that you can even meditate in say for a bus ride or yeah, while walking yeah. or while eating yeah but i don't know that does not feel as legitimate as sitting on a cushion and meditating in a quiet place mhm so you're right it's not as rigorous but what what you have to realize is that uh, that is better than nothing um mm. so you need so if you want to get to that level where you are meditating consistently for like say 40 minutes one hour whatever uh you need to start by meditating like it's very difficult to make that jump directly to that 40 minute slot so i think it's it's better to like try to meditate so at least get meditation down every day like however in whichever way so when i say i don't meditate daily 
I all I mean is that I don't do a regular sitting. Uh I will still meditate a bit like say before sleeping in which in which I'm lying down and still it's still a legitimate meditation. It's no less of a meditation. But I don't count it because I only count sittings per se. Uh hmm. but but as, but as far as the benefits go it it's as beneficial if not more. Hmm. There's there's also a side tangent that we could go into in which my meditation practice was also fueled by I I got Amazon Echo and I don't know what you know about it but um it has a it has a meditation skill so called uh, in which it plays headspace meditations which are new every day so it updates it every day so what are headspace meditations ah okay what do you mean by it is new every day um so headspace is a, it's, it's another app like 10% happier that has meditation and it's so it has courses in meditation just like again 10% happier but there is one daily meditation that it keeps on updating and then there's also one sleep meditation so you could just be like i don't want to activate it right now but the word to activate it and play this meditation today uh and um, it will start playing or i want to sleep today and it will start playing the sleep meditation what has your experience with with sleep meditations i haven't tried it yet i haven't tried them a lot either uh my personal preference is that if i'm struggling to sleep a lot either i get up and read or i get up and meditate like do a proper formal sitting i think that's hmm. and i think the best thing is if you can manage it like meditate before sleeping if if you are able to do that um, i think you can at least fall asleep initially at least that's my experience i often have this set routine of either listening to an audiobook or mm-hmm. a podcast while sleeping sleepy yeah. or not yeah i guess that's that's decent enough so you've got an amazon echo now i have anything an else you've added to your gadget collection there in london uh, the thing is i'm I, although i have an echo i have not been able to use it a lot and the reason for that it requires a wifi connection and i obviously have a wifi connection but the universities <laughs> here in london have uh, something called as an enterprise level connection and amazon echo is supposed to be a personal device so it doesn't connect so what i have to do is create a hotspot on my phone every time i come home and all of that and i don't have unlimited data either so basically i have not been able to use it it's currently a bluetooth speaker i'm so happy to know that even an elite college in london has this wifi issues just like some random university in india has so glad yeah. to hear that yeah someone it's... else is suffering in london as well Yeah I mean and uh, it, it it goes further like I I've tried to contact the IT support team and all of that it's it's it's, it's like I've been waiting for 2 weeks now Yes yes even I've done that I've tried all of that I've gone to the IT department I've talked yeah. about this I've talked that how silly are the blockages you have kept around say for example they have they had blocked even video calls for some time Ah that's intense anyway yeah but uh, many of the video calling facilities and many of the legit in fact their own official website won't open mm-hmm. but the pawn website is definitely open <laughs> that's fun <laughs> <laughs> idiots yeah yeah i mean worst case scenario i'll have to take things in my hand but uh, let's see i've just learned to live with it now yeah but i mean i don't want to waste my whatever money i've spent on the echo right oh yeah Yeah, so I'll have to maybe install a router or something, which might be a bit illegal, but whatever. 